Welcome to the Principles of Success, interviewing the experts, and today's book summary is The Art of Seduction. Woo! Now, before we really get into this book, I want to mention that something is really up with my microphone and recording. So hopefully this all works out, and hopefully it all sounds good. But The Art of Seduction is really a simple book. There's, it can be divided into two parts the different type of seducers, and the four-step guide to seduction. Now, there were a few things in this book that I felt were just straight up wrong, and there were a few things that were a disagreeable viewpoint, but the bulk of this book was pretty good. And the author, I feel, purposely writes in a manner that is supposed to be kind of a morally questionable manner, and I think he does it on purpose. This is the same author that wrote The 48 Laws of Power. It's the same style. It's like, by the way, these things work. You can use them for your evil intentions if you please. And that's kind of the style. The art of seduction is you can, in fact, he even uses the words, you can use this on your victims. And you can use seduction, you can use charisma, you can use any sort of social skill. You can use the 48 laws of power. You can use power plays. You can use all these different skills for evil purposes. However, you have to seduce your spouse. You have to regularly seduce them post-seduction to keep them happy. So seduction doesn't have to be a negative thing, but it can be. And if you're just some poor soul trying to find love, having a few seducing skills in your tool bag might help a little. So, what is seduction? Seduction is visual and language. It's getting what you want without force. There was one time I remember very clearly that this girl, I was kicking a girl out because I didn't want to misbehave and she very much wanted to misbehave and so she was taking her sweet time putting on her jacket and she was purposely arching her back all to try and get me to want her more and I will admit that I went up to her and started making out with her again but that's besides the point that was seduction going up to a girl and while you're talking with her while you're teasing her, gently brushing her arm. That is part of seduction. It's a game. Now, love is more powerful than lust. When we think of the word seduction, we're thinking it in a sexual connotation. We're both trying to make the other desire us physically. Now, that is true. However, love is more powerful than lust. You should be seducing everybody, both male and female, both friends and foes, strangers and friends, because seduction is just the game of making people like you. It can be a romantic-like, it can be a sexual-like, but it can also be a friendship-like. So you should be seducing everybody 
And if it's not in a romantic sense, just turn down the sexual tone. Seducing is the effort you spend on them. In fact, in this particular sense, seducing is a positive term because you're having to put energy into making sure that they are happy and enjoying their time with you. A great conversationalist makes sure the other person is enjoying the conversation. A great seducer is making sure the other person is enjoying their time with you. And to be able to do this, you have to not be self-absorbed. You have to be in their skins. Seducers are providers of pleasure. If you make sure that they enjoy themselves around you, if your breath sends a shiver down their spine, if your smile makes their day, if you want that effect on people, you have to figure out what makes them tick and what makes them happy. So, to be a seducer, to be able to understand them, you first have to understand yourself. Now we're getting into the first section of the book. The first part you is your character. Just think of it kind of like a character type in a video game or a book or a movie. Like, for instance, the bad boy or the shining knight or the it girl or the nerdy girl. So first is the character, what char type of seducer you are. The next, and then the next section, you cover the tactics. So what type of seducer are you? And there are nine types of seducers. The first seducer is the siren. So in mythos, the sirens would sing to sailors to make them abandon their ships and come swim with them. By, and they would do this by singing a lovely song that would enchant the men. So a siren is mythical, elusive, sexual pleasure. And all of these can be both male and female. Some might be more dominantly one gender or the other, but all of them can be one of the other. So mythical, elusive, sexual pleasure. And it has an element of danger and fear. The main focus of this one is the physical appearance, dazzling them and living out their fantasies. What I think of with this one is kind of the sultry girl, the, the bad boy archetype, the Fifty Shades of Grey, mistresses, that kind of stuff. The sec pure sexual pleasure. That's kind of what this seducer is like. This is the girl that approaches you and starts playing her fingers on your arm and leans in real close. Kind of has that purr in their voice. That's the siren. And that one's more of the female persuasion. Because the next one is the rake. And the rake is definitely the bad boy seducer. This is the let yourself go, live in the moment, just enjoy. You are a slave to her charms. Slightly little bit of evil involved. You are providing a rare experience for her. And you make sure to embrace your bad name. The rake has a reputation for being bad. And the ladies love it. 
Yeah, I seriously don't know what's up with my mic. Hopefully this all sounds good, because it would be really annoying to record it again. Number three, the ideal lover. This is Prince Charming. The focus of this seducer is what do they lack? You have to observe them. You make them feel noble. You're their shiny knight. You're patient. You're attentive. You stroke their vanity. This isn't the nice guy syndrome. This isn't a floor mat that is doing her every whim. This is the guy who, or the girl, who when you're in a crisis, they're the person you turn to. When you're needing comfort, they're the person you turn to. And this one's super powerful in this day and age if you can figure out how to pull it off because everybody is so self-absorbed that most people aren't meeting their partner's needs. So if you're the rare person who actually is there for their partner, it is powerful. And again, this isn't the nice guy. This is the shiny knight. Number four. The dandy. This is the male, or this is the unabashedly different person who is happy to stand out. And it really is by inversing kind of the stereotypes. So the male dandy is fashionable, very well-dressed, sharp-looking, expressive, flamboyant in a straight way. Kind of just the, kind of like the partier, the fun person to be around. The masculine feminine dandy is independence, freedom, being different, not being afraid to go your own way. And that's what the dandies are. They are outstriders. They are not outcasts. They are people who will dress slightly differently just to show off. For example, in a church where you show up in black suits and white shirts all the time, show up in a cream suit and a red shirt. You're still dressed appropriately. You're still doing the correct things, but you're adding a, just a little bit of flair. Their, their attitude tends to be impudent, never trying to please, can be insolent, and they live for pleasure. Number five, the child. It's just a childlike, fun demeanor. They let go. They're innocent. They're a little imp and naughty. And they're very good at being receptive lovers. Number seven, the charmer. The charmer subtracts the sex. They are there. This is the flirt. They are there simply to charm. And they're all subtle about it, full of innuendos. They, they say one thing, and it could be a perfectly innocent thing to say. But there's that slight, like, what if they meant this? The charmer wants to be the center of attention. They want to be your sole attention. They want to be the source of pleasure. They are lighthearted and fun. They're there to distract you from your problems. They're trying to smooth the conflict. They don't want contention. They just want to lead, they want to ease their victim into ease and comfort. They're like, ah, oh, it's just so nice to be around them. They make me feel so good. They're also calm in the face of adversity. And if you want to be extra charming, you make yourself useful. Number eight, the charismatic. And his take on what makes the charismatic was interesting. Nothing is more charismatic than living what you believe. You radiate 
self-assurance. That part is definitely true. If you want to be charisma, charisma is just confidence. So you radiate self-assurance. You're uninhibited. You're not afraid to say what you think. You're not afraid to do what you believe in. You have a strong sense of self-belief. And you're bold. You're animated. You're energetic. You're magnetic. Being smooth is a language. You want to give people a sense of vision. Some of their qualities include purpose, mystery, a little bit of a saintly taint. Like they're great, great people. Eloquence. Theor- the- I can't say the word. Theater. They act like they're on stage. Theatrics. There we go. Not in a uncontrolled theatrical kind of like a child, but grand movements. Like if the camera was aimed directly on them. Having a little strut in your walk is an example of that. Uninhibited. Being uninhibited is incredibly important if you want to be charismatic. Fervency. Fierce. Grr. Power. Being vulnerable. Loving. Adventurous. Daring. Magnetism. And gaze. They have strong gazes. And then number nine is the star. This is the mythical figure. Their job is to represent a type. And you don't have to be famous to be a star, but you do have to be having the attitude of being more than the average person. So that's part one, and I'm actually going surprisingly long on this episode. However, part two is a lot shorter, so that might fix it anyway. So part two is the seduction. This is how you actually seduce the person. So those first nine characters... Characters, figure out what kind of character of seducer you are and play up that archetype. So if you already have a childlike flirtation method, amp that up. If you're already an ideal lover, amp that up. Don't try to be someone you're not. Someone with a childlike behavior is not, or childlike flirting is not going to be a good siren. They're not going to go up and press their body against you and be all sultry. So... Amp that up. Then you use the four stages of actual seduction. So the first one is the initiation ritual. You have to stir their interest. You have to get their attention. You have to fill a void. What are they missing in their life that you can fill? A lot of times, that's fun and excitement. Try to avoid busy people. Busy people are hard to seduce. Seduction takes attention. Now, to get their attention, it is best to approach indirectly, befriend their social group, and then play a game of cat and mouse. Do not crowd them too much attention, and they're like, oh, what is this person? Go away. So don't crowd them. Just infiltrate their circle, and definitely do not be overly hasty to announce your intentions. The perfect example of this is a guy who goes on the first date with a girl and announces that he's in love with her. It doesn't work. It creeps them out. Seduction is a game. You have to leave a little bit of mystery. Next, purposely send mixed signals. Not the mixed signals of being a wishy-washy kind of person, but having like a strong side and a soft side. Being smart, but also fun. Kind, but dangerous. You have to engage their imaginations. You have to hold their attention. Attention is the key. Then there's the triangle of desire. Make sure that you look desirable. 
one big thing, especially for someone who's antisocial like me, is you look undesirable when you are sitting alone. You can be the most charismatic person in the world, but if you're sitting alone, you look undesirable. You need to look like others admire you. And you can use something like the use of contrast. Set it up so that way they have to talk to the most boring person in the room. And then you are saving them. Even if you are kind of boring, you're still more entertaining than the most boring person. And then do not overcrowd them again. You need to keep your distance. You need to keep an air of mystery. There needs to be a sense of dissatisfaction. They want, they don't want to be overwhelmed by you. They want a need, a aching to have you around more. Use insinuating to create a sense of mystery. Add just a little bit of, do they like me? Do they not like me? Cat and mouse. Figure out their tastes and their moods and line up with it so that way you can fill that void. If they're sad, be sad with them. And then always execute on temptation. Aim at their weakness, keep it, but keep it vague. If they're bored, offer something fun. If they're lonely, offer companionship, that kind of stuff. Phase two, you have to keep them in suspense. You can't rush it. You can't oh, crowd them. And you can't be a sure bet. You need to keep them in confusion. You go crazy for the person who you're like, do they like me? Do they not like me? That's what this stage is all about. You're creating confusion with your words. Or you're just creating confusion. And one of the ways is with your words. Flatter them. Flatter the parts that need an ego boost. Arouse emotions. Be bold. Pay attention to the details. If some... If you're buying a girl flowers, know what her favorite type of flowers are, not just get her flowers. And then allow a strategic weakness to show. Don't attack your enemies. It looks ugly. Have a soft underbelly that is vulnerable. And then you have to embody a fantasy. Like, for instance, if they want to have more fun in their life, be the fantasy of, this person will give me more fun in my life. And then make sure to... Isolate them. Isolating your victim is very powerful. This can be as simple as turning them away from the group so that way it's a now, instead of a group conversation, it's a one-on-one -on -one conversation with, a, with your friend group standing nearby. More manipulativeness is you can isolate them from their friends and family. Put wedges between them so that way they are solely dependent on you. Like I said, you can use these skills for good and for bad. But when you're their sole support system, when you're their sole focus, that's powerful. And then you need to prove yourself. Resistance is an emotion. Resistance is bound to happen as you're pursuing a relationship or a seduction. Resistance is an emotion that is better than indifference. If they don't care one way or the other, you're screwed. You'll also, it's also useful to stir up childhood emotions. The name of seduction is emotion. So by people love their either love or hate different times in their childhood. Stir those emotions up. Get them to reminisce or criticize their childhood. It's always helpful to be forbidden. Everybody loves something that they can't have. And then make sure you create tension. Being boring is more danger than them being angry. Lack of emotion is death. So do not be afraid to stir the waters a little bit. 
And then, playing cat and mouse again, go cold. Let them pursue you. It's no fun to be the only one who gets to play the role of the seducer. People like charming each other. So by backing off, you're giving them the opportunity to, one, miss you, and two, have fun seducing you, winning you over. Now you're going to use physical lures. Your goal is to eventually get to the point where they're open to in-the-moment physical pleasure. This can be something as chaste as a prolonged hug. It can be a kiss, making out, or it can be sex. That's the goal, and you're just using physical lures to get them to that goal. The brushing of the arm, the prolonged eye contact, the prolonged staring at their lips. And just make your intentions more intense. Get up and close to them. Strong, strong eye contact is very useful in this one. And then, of course, make it their fault. You're just too beautiful for me to resist. Like, Why do you have to be so charming? And then you seal it with a bold move. If you wait too long, it ruins the excitement. There is a climax. You have... You are building this tension. Seduction is tension, emotion. You're building this sexual tension. And then if you don't initiate on the bold move, once you reach that climax, it'll pitter out and it'll be no good. So make sure you, when that peak tension arises, you have a bold move. You make the move. This can be both male and female. In fact, ladies, there's tension in the air and you make the move, that guy is probably yours. And that is how you seduce someone. Now, there is one more part to this that is very important. In fact, it's probably one of the most important parts because the end goal is to get into a long-lasting, happy relationship. And that is the second seduction. Just because you've seduced them doesn't mean you get to quit. Just because you've gotten married doesn't mean you get to quit. Don't quit and become boring. Now, you don't have to keep up the seduction act 24-7 all the time, you're allowed to get to a sense of familiar, familiarity and comfort around them, but do your best to maintain lightness. And every once in a while, do something spontaneous. Go out and tr actively try to seduce them. And that is how you keep the spark alive. Anyway, that's it for today's book. And with that, I will see you all next week.